Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel, act on it and make them feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com xm. Emerging technologies are transforming the healthcare industry as we know it. Investors, say hello to HTech, a portfolio dedicated to capturing the significant growth potential of healthcare innovation. Learn more at roboglobal.com slash HTEC. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 6 of the NBA Podcast, presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Toporek, and joining me today is Sarah Chalea. How are you, Sarah? Uh, doing as well as can be expected. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Uh, our third co-host, Morton Jensen, is unable to join us today. He's feeling a bit under the weather, so he is about to miss the epic rant Sarah is going to go <laughs> on about the end of Spurs Thunder Game 2. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clear. So we're going to start there, and then we'll touch upon some of the playoff action that's happened over the past couple days. But I'm ceding the floor to you, Sarah. What's going through your head after whatever the hell just happened in Game 2 of Spurs Thunder? What is this podcast rated? (laughs) Are we family friendly? You, you you, You can feel free to curse as much or as little as you would like. I'm going to try to keep a lid on it. Um, okay. First of all, feel better, Morton. We miss you. What can I say about that? I'm going to preface this whole thing, first of all, by saying this. The last 13 and a half seconds is not why the Spurs lost. I'm not saying that. They're not saying that. So, as the kids say, don't at me with that. <laughs> We're not talking about that. I just, man, what a mess that was. Yeah. I, just, I don't even know where to begin. Okay, I, I will tell you that I didn't read the last two and a half minute or two minute report because I actually don't need the report to tell me what should have been called. Um, <laughs> That's fair. And it really I, is no, it doesn't any, but nobody any good, right? It's kind right. of pointless. I, I, I did read the report. They, there were five missed calls mm-hmm. on that play alone, I believe. <laughs> I think it was. Three Spurs fouls versus two Thunder fouls, Damn. or whatever that, yeah. or whatever that's worth. But Dion fouled Manu, and there was some other extracurricular activity outside of the inbounding. So yeah, it was amazing. It was truly amazing. I think Morton posted <laughs> what was that clip from? I think Anchorman. Yeah, He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm not even. I'm not even mad. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, five fouls. <laughs> In 13 seconds, that yeah. none of them were called. That's amazing, right? Um, 
Yeah, and and to me, obviously the Spurs got away with stuff too, but the thing of that is, <laughs> you know, there's some things that we've grown accustomed to seeing that we know teams are going to get away with, especially in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first of all, people are going nuts over Manu stepping on the line. Uh, to me, I'm sure that happens more often than we know. Um, yeah. And it wasn't like he was standing on the line the entire time. His toe briefly went over the line, and he got back <laughs> behind it and was well behind it when he was contacted. The holding that I think Kawhi and Patty were holding, mm-hmm. jerseys or whatever, Yeah, that I'm not okay with. I don't know how the hell you're supposed to get open with a guy holding your jersey. But there again, right. if you watch any, literally any game and it's close in the last few minutes, you're going to see that on any inbound play. We see it oh, yeah. every Absolutely. single time, and it almost never gets called. Right. Um, same thing with LaMarcus when he got the offensive rebound and got held. Yeah. I, I was sure live that he got either whacked or held, but there again, you, you know that's probably not going to get called. So we expect that. I don't know that we should accept it, but we expect it. And the fan, I don't really want to get into the fan because <laughs> <laughs> right. I think, I really think she, you know, if you watch the video, she got knocked over and was trying to brace herself. I don't think she was trying to keep him out of the play. It's, yeah, that's yeah. what I, I forget where who tweeted it or where I saw it, but it, someone who witnessed what happened did say that the woman was falling over and was just trying to catch herself. Right. So it wasn't wasn't necessarily malicious, even though the video that was making the rounds Monday night made it seem that way. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know for sure, but it definitely seemed instinctive to me more than you know, trying to gain an advantage. But right. Yeah. Yeah. For the, for what Dion waiters did, that's just, that was amazing. How many people have you seen, you know, Charles Barkley, Chris Weber, God, how many different, the referees themselves, Right. <laughs> People with so much experience in the game of basketball, years and years of experience from all levels, will tell you that they have never seen anybody even try that before. And he's he's so unapologetic about oh, yeah. it, which is even oh, better. Yeah. Like he was just like, I gotta inbound the ball. We didn't have mm-hmm. a timeout. What do you want me to do? Say it. The the balls on that guy. My yeah. God. Mark yeah. Davis is standing right there and he's like, eh, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> gonna drop this elbow in Manu's chest and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic, yeah. I, I mean, we can only hope that uh, Game 3 on Friday, we don't have such madness at the mm-hmm. end. But I do want to know, just big takeaways for the first two games for you. Let me go back one more time real quick. Okay. Before before we put this to bed. <laughs> okay. For once and for all. Okay. The one thing that I kind of take issue with as far as the referees, like we all get that it's it's a tough job and they're going to make multiple mistakes throughout the game. And I don't think anybody's going to be that mad about like a close block charge call, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I don't really love was the excuse of we've never seen that before. It's a fair point. I just think, you know, <laughs> we already know that if the defender reaches over and contacts the inbounder, or even touches the ball before it's entered into the field of play or the court or however you want to describe it, we know that's a violation. Mm-hmm. So it stands to reason that if if the inbounder <laughs> is crazy enough to reach over and contact their defender, that's also a violation. Like, right. that's not a huge leap in logic. Like, so I don't feel like you need to have seen that before. <laughs> like, I've never seen anyone actually steal candy from a baby, but I know right. that it's wrong. <laughs> 
I don't have to wait for it to happen. Yeah. So that that was just amazing. But hey, now we've seen it, and so it it will hopefully never happen to anyone again. Right. Yeah. You one would hope. Yeah. So anyway, big takeaways. Sorry about that. No, that's that's please. I'm, I thought you'd be going another fifteen minutes. So this is. <laughs> I've cooled down. What has it been like? At least forty eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. I so. I can only imagine. Tuesday morning, you were uh, pretty fired up. Understandably so. I mean, if this happened to my team, my TV would be in the graveyard right now. It was a, kind of a fog the next morning. It was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, did that happen? Yeah. You know, couldn't, still couldn't really believe it, but it's all good. I, I kind of disappointed, but then also it's a good thing that we weren't like recording live as I watched it unfold. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been madness. There was definite yelling. It just exasperation, but that's yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, what was more disappointing, honestly, was the way that the Spurs played. I didn't play anywhere near well enough to win, and that's on them. I went back and watched the first, like, let's see, three minutes, just just for the people, because <laughs> it <laughs> surely wasn't because I wanted to. Within four minutes, they were one of ten, wow. and they had missed six layups. And oh one God. one tip in after one of the missed layups, and a lot of that was my guy Timmy Duncan, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh man. So that's the thing. I mean, I feel like people are inclined to look at the numbers or look at how poorly the Spurs shot and say, "Well, the the Thunder played a lot better defense." The thing is, they really didn't. Right. <laughs> you know, especially in the beginning, they gave up so many good looks, and the Spurs were just terrible. And if you go to, I don't know, that we should even, uh, if we're supposed to promote other sites. Yeah, I think <laughs> but, that's uh, fair. It's allowed. I, yeah. I mean, I wrote a recap, too, at B-Ball Breakdown, so you can read my recap. Yes, <laughs> but, that's true. But Pounding the Rock also has an article up right now. I think it's called uh, Spurs Beat Themselves by Abandoning the Pick and Roll. Oh, interesting. And I, I tend to agree with that, and I tend to agree with, they, they reiterate kind of what I was saying in my, my breakdown as well. That and they have clips. They've got plenty of clips that show it. <laughs> that you know they they were getting great looks out of the pick and rolls to begin the game, and they just were blowing layups. And so then they kind of got away from it and went into isolation play. And then in a, in a great turn of events, the Thunder started running the pick and roll and beating the Spurs with it. Mm-hmm. So and that's kind of the big thing for me. Um, you can look at it from a Spurs perspective and say, well, the good news is they were still getting good looks mm-hmm. and pretty regularly. Right. But, God, <laughs> their offense, I told you, their offense has had red flags around it all year for me. Yeah, you did call that even before the playoffs started. Yeah. So credit credit where credit <laughs> is due there. Yeah, so, and I told, hey, I told y'all, LaMarcus, too, going back at Ibaka yeah. is going to be a thing. My and God. I completely expected that he would average 40 a game. So. Did you? Okay, good. Yeah, because I did not at all. So no. I guess we'll just count on that. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But I, I knew he was going to be good, but I didn't yeah. think we'd ever see that again. Like, this is Portland LaMarcus, you know? Yeah, this, I mean, this is honestly better than Portland yeah. LaMarcus. This, this is like, if he's this good, the Spurs dynasty is... And no danger of falling apart, even when Duncan and Manu retire. Like he's, he and Kawhi, you just need to put a younger point guard around them, and you have a new big three. Mm-hmm. So that <laughs> that's been the 
honestly, the biggest surprise for me in this whole series is how well Aldridge has played. Yeah. yeah he's... And our boy Danny Green. He's coming alive yeah, a little bit. So we'll, we'll have to see. So I know you picked Spurs in five before the series started. <laughs> Guessing you're, you would hedge a little bit on that, but are you still confident uh, moving forward in the Spurs? Oh, no, we're good. We're about to win three in a row now. So. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Spurs in five stays. No, I, I, well, I can't go back on that. I'm staying with yeah. that. But, um, no, I'm not feeling great about it right now. <laughs> they they definitely gave away a game at home. Yeah. Uh, and that's such a dangerous thing to do, especially against a, a team like the Thunder. So uh, they've shown – you know, that they can defend when they feel mm-hmm. like it. Um, <laughs> right. I still don't think they're going to do it consistently just because they haven't all year. But, yeah. I mean, you let them get a little motivated, get that belief. You mm-hmm. never know what can happen. And they're going home. So that's scary for sure. That's true. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Game three is Friday night. I said last time, you know, honestly, the way that game ended made me more confident in mm-hmm. my Spurs and Six pick. Right. Just because, like, OKC's late-game offense, mm-hmm. it's going to cost them a game. It damn near did in Game 2. I mean, they almost coughed up a four-point lead with less than 20 seconds left. So no lead is safe in this series. And the Spurs really, I mean, they had a three-on-one. Like, mm-hmm. they really should have converted and won that game. So, yeah, I just, I have no faith that in the waning moments of a close game the spurs are going to be out executed by the thunder no that's that's the thing (laughs) but if i'm honest with it uh, as someone who's you know paid attention really closely to the spurs too this year i think you know they are not what they were as far as late game execution Mm. uh, because a lot of that you know it has shifted the ball is not necessarily in tony's hands as much anymore or tim's Mm -hmm. hands and I think you saw a little bit of that in game two. I think they were down three with like a minute to go. They had the ball. Mm-hmm. And they go. They went down to LaMarcus, and he, he decided to pass it back out. And Kawhi like sprinted to the three-point line. And Waiters was right on him. And he just kind of pulled up and bricked the, bricked the three. And, and that was, of course, Pop said, I feel like we lost the game three times. That was, <laughs> that was, that was one of the times that they lost the game. It probably yeah. should have been over there. Yeah. Um, but obviously they had some more opportunities because the Thunder have their own issues. But right. Uh, yeah, that wasn't a great choice. He probably could have gotten by Waiters at that point, and he didn't need to settle for the three. Uh, so there's just things like that where they know they're not getting the best shot always either. Hopefully they will learn from that and be better. Same thing, like you pointed out, the three-on-one. They absolutely should have scored there. Right. Um, give Stephen Adams a lot of credit because he hustled his ass off and frankly deserved to win for the way that he defended that last play just about by himself. (laughs) Right. But that's, that's actually an issue that they've had for a couple years now. Uh, Fast breaks. They, they Mm. don't get a lot of fast break points. They don't make great decisions anymore. And it's so weird because they used to be really good at it. Uh, Especially when they had that foreign legion unit with Marco and Manu. But the, this group, (laughs) Yeah, well, Danny's not our best passer. He's probably one of the marginal passers on the team. And so he makes a high pass that takes away the advantage that they had. And But that's something that I looked at even back when they lost in the first round to the Clippers last year. 
In game seven, I broke down, I think, like seven different fast break opportunities they had, mm-hmm. and they didn't score on a single one. Wow. Okay. And they lost that game by one point as well. Yeah, that'll <laughs> so, do it. Yeah, these are opportunities that you have to cash in on, and they have not been great at it lately. So that is a concern. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. We'll keep an eye out for that in Game 3 Friday night. Let's turn our attention to a series that is not as close, <laughs> the Cavs-Hawks. Uh, we are recording this on a Thursday, so Game 2 of that series was last night. The Cavs murdered the Hawks. They hit a single-game record of 25 three-pointers. J.R. Smith had seven. Uh, LeBron went four of six from beyond the arc. It was just a massacre. It was a total massacre. So, Sarah, do you think the Hawks have any chance of making this a series, or should Cleveland just book its spot in the Eastern Conference Finals now? I don't want to overreact to what was a ridiculous performance, but, God, I'm just so disappointed in the Hawks. I really thought this year that they could maybe at least get one or two games. Like, Mm -hmm. let's do a little better than what we did last year. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not looking good, is it? (laughs) No, it's really not. I think that they can do a lot better defensively. There was a lot of standing and watching last night, so perhaps they get a little closer going to Atlanta. But, I don't know, you guys, you said what's uh, Cleveland in five, and that's generous. Uh, yeah. I would have yep. to agree with that. That's certainly the way that it's looking right now. I don't, uh, who knows, maybe we get bad JR again. Yeah, right. That's it, it the, I think that's the hope. You just have to, you're, those, the big three are going to do their damage, but if you limit the supporting cast, you can steal a game. But if yeah. JR Smith is hitting seven threes on you, just dig your grave now. You're done. <laughs> Um, I mean, I just think not having Damari Carroll is killing them because mm-hmm. LeBron is really, he's just having his way. Kevin Love has not shot well in this series, but he's been a force on the glass along with Tristan Thompson. I just think this Cavs front court is such a bad matchup for Atlanta because Atlanta, both of those guys, Millsap and Horford, are basically power forwards. I mean, they play, Horford plays the center, but... You know, they're not like a right. truly physically imposing front court. Mm-hmm. And, you know, five years ago, even you play like Indiana, like 2012 Indiana, and you're going up against Roy Hibbert. It's you have a different set of skills. So you have a matchup advantage, like Horford can step out from behind the three point line and you're drawing Hibbert away from the basket. For Cleveland's love and Tristan Thompson are both power forwards, too. <laughs> So you basically have four power forwards going at each other, but Cleveland's guys are both monsters on the glass. I forget, Horford had, what, like three or four rebounds last night? Mm. Like, you just can't win if you're getting out-rebounded that badly. And that was an issue in in the conference finals last year, too. In that four-game sweep, Cleveland had about 50 more rebounds than the Hawks. I I think I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned last time, like, Tristan Thompson, I think, had 17 offensive rebounds. Horford had 19 total in the conference finals last year. Wow. It seems like the same thing's happening again. So, I'm sorry, Hawks. <laughs> I just, I didn't, I honestly didn't have much faith in them, as my Cleveland in five pick mm-hmm. would suggest. <laughs> I just, it's such, it's such a bad matchup for them. And Kyrie, 
you know, he was only there for half the series last last time around, and now he's just going off. I I think what's we're looking at Cleveland is they're in they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. We just need to speed through this and hope none of the Cavs get hurt in the series, so we at least get a full strength Cleveland. Because now, I mean, I don't want to say they would be favored by any stretch of the imagination, but now they at least look formidable enough that whoever comes out of the West, the finals might be a series. You know, I think a lot of the talk has been whoever goes in the Western Conference Finals, whoever's playing the Warriors, that's the real NBA Finals. And then whoever wins that is just going to blast the Cavs. I think whoever wins the West, especially if it's the Warriors, they're still favored over Cleveland based on what happened last year and, you know, based on how historically great they are. But I don't know that they're, it's a pushover by any means. So I'm just hoping we keep Cleveland at full strength so we can at least get, just give us like one good round of the playoffs. Like <laughs> the, the first round was terrible. We got a couple good series this time, but you know, this Cleveland-Atlanta series is pretty bad. It looks like Warriors-Portland's heading that way too. So just one good round. That's all I want. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's why the Spurs had to drop that game so that this would be a good series. Because they, they were definitely going to win in five. Yeah. <laughs> doing us a favor. Thanks, Pop. That was really nice. <laughs> no, seriously, it is so disappointing, isn't it? Because we thought our reward for the terrible first round, especially in the West, was going to be Clippers, Warriors, Spurs, yeah. Thunder. Everybody right. hopefully healthy. But that completely evaporated before our eyes. I'd have to agree with everything that you said about the Hawks and the Cavs. It's just very sad times. And and, <laughs> and also uh, for the finals, I mean, yeah. Especially if the Warriors get to the finals, I think they're definitely the favorite. Right. But, you know, with Steph being somewhat, you know, of a question mark now, as, hey, if the, if the Cavs get hot and they get there too, you never know. I mean, they are yeah. a dangerous team. I right. still remember that um, – Spurs Cavs game last year when Kyrie was like unconscious mm-hmm. and it didn't even matter who was on him at that point. Oh, the Spurs right. threw everybody at him and he just still won them the game. So that was it where, where he went off for like 57? Yes. Is that the one? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, they have that in them. If they get a game or two like that where people are just going off, like last night, you yeah. just never know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they were up 2 1 last year without Love and with Irving only playing one game. And then the Warriors, you know, they figured out, oh, we could just small ball them to death. <laughs> but, you know, this time around, I really wonder if they would at least try LeBron at the five when they go to that death lineup and do, like, Kyrie, Shumpert, Smith, maybe Delhi and LeBron, and just yeah. kind of beat Draymond Green in his own game because... You know, Dray- that's where Draymond is so dangerous because opposing fives just have no chance against him. But if you just do what they're doing, play their own game, you know, I don't know that that lineup that I just said has the offensive firepower to match wits with the Warriors. But Cleveland at least has options. I, I think we all at least just deserve to see LeBron at the five versus Draymond at the five. Yeah, just that would be so us. fun. <laughs> it would be so fun. So let's hope. If that's the what the finals winds up being, let's hope Tyron Liu is listening to this podcast and is <laughs> jotting down some notes. Yes, I'm sure he is. 
Yeah, yeah, right. I'm sure, he has nothing better to do right now. Let's switch our focus now. We're going to go to the other side of the Eastern Conference bracket. Toronto, Miami. We've had one game so far, and it was a barn burner. Uh, it's pretty back and forth throughout the whole game. Miami took a late lead, uh, and then Kyle Lowry hits a ridiculous half-court buzzer beater uh, to send the game into overtime. He had been awful up until that point, and he actually finished the game 3 of 13, so he was awful even throughout overtime. Um, the Heat scored six straight to start overtime. Raptors didn't score until there was about a minute, a little more than a minute left. So the Heat escape uh, thanks to a Dwayne Wade steal fast break. So they have stolen home court once again. The Raptors, it's just so hard to have faith in this team. Like every time you think they've turned it around, it's they just do something like this. I forget. I want to say they've lost their last five game ones at home, something like that. Yeah, it's something ridiculous like that. Yeah, like, oh, geez, it's so... I just, you know, I, I want to buy in. I thought this is a the best Raptors team we've seen, but prior to the series, I chose Heat and Six. I stand by that, obviously, <laughs> uh, based on what we saw in game one. We should mention Dwayne Wade bruised his knee at the end of the game. He played through it. He got that steal and fast break, so he seemed okay, but something to keep an eye on moving forward. Also, Hassan Whiteside twisted his knee in the first quarter. He came back and was a beast. He had, I think, 17 rebounds, so he was okay, but again, something to keep an eye on, that those things can swell up overnight. I believe both are set to play game two, but you can always aggravate an injury, and that, that would change the complexion of the series. So, Sarah, we didn't hear from you last time. What would you have picked before the series started, and did Game 1 change your opinion at all? I think Heat and 6 is probably a pretty good prediction. Game 1 was... Uh, I just... Like, you keep waiting for DeRozan and Lowry to finally break out, and it's mm-hmm. just not really happening. So, like you said, it's it's getting pretty hard to have faith and think that they're going to ever the whole team is ever going to really turn it around. I'm kind of to the point, it's not exactly the same, but where I, where I was with the Bulls, <laughs> like, poor <laughs> oh, no. Morton. Yeah, but, like, after last year, I finally gave up on the Bulls, like, thinking yeah. they were ever going to beat whatever team LeBron is on. Right. You know, for the longest time, I thought they were the ones who yeah. were finally going to do it. And last year, they had such a great chance and really wasn't that close. So, yeah. I gave up on them, and Raptors, I'm not ready to give up on them yet. They're a young team, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, really their second good crack at it, but it's not looking looking so great for them either. I think the Heat have the experience with with Dwayne. They have the youth. They have those rookies. They have Hassan. Yep. So, J.J. as well. Yeah, yeah, J.J. played well. So, yeah, I think they're going to pull it out. Like you said, the injuries will be something to watch. You know, if Dwayne right. and, and Hassan can't really go, that that might change things. But otherwise, I think the Heat have the advantage. Yeah, and I think Hassan even said before game one that the thigh injury he suffered during the first round wasn't fully healed. So that's the one I'm keeping an eye on, even more than Wade, because Jonas Valanciunas had a monster game in game one, 24 mm-hmm. points, 14 rebounds, even with Hassan there for most of it. And with Lowry and DeRozan both struggling so much, I feel like you just feed the big man. Just let mm-hmm. him get going. 
totally agree. Totally. And, and that that's only going to, I mean, in theory, should help you draw fouls on Whiteside, so that can really negate the one advantage Miami has in the front court. You know, even if Whiteside's fully healthy, I think that's the route you go in game two. And then hope Lowry's late night shooting session mm-hmm. uh, paid off because he was, he's been in such a slump that now he's starting to hesitate when he has open shots and you mm-hmm. just can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. You can't overthink. It really is going to, I mean, Toronto's offense is so reliant on those two guys that if you have either one of them even remotely hesitate, it's bad news bears for Toronto. You hate to see a player start hesitating. Yeah. We go through that a lot with Danny Green in San Antonio. <laughs> right, like, right. You can see him thinking. You know he's overthinking it. You know. Yeah. It's, it's never good. Yeah. Um, I'm pulling for Lowry. He's a Philly guy. Yeah. He's a yeah. tough guy. You know, he's playing with that burst burst of sack or whatever. I think right, uh, Blake Griffin had one of those last year. I remember because yeah. it was so disgusting looking. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully he can break out, but I think they need to give Corey Joseph a few more minutes, and they need to feed Valanciunas more. But yeah. whether they will figure that out, I don't know. I agree. I, I do think the Raptors take game two, but then I have a feeling Miami sweeps the two at home and then takes it in six. So, again, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed that Toronto can take <laughs> game two and turn this into a series, or this really is going to be a crappy first round, save for Spurs Thunder. Yeah. Uh, and we, we can thank the Warriors for making it a crappy second round <laughs> because they had the Trailblazers in game two. They really had the dubs on the ropes. It seemed like we're, they were going to even it out. They, uh, they were up 87-76 at the end of three. Damian Lillard had just gone off for 17 points in the third quarter, including a three-pointer at the buzzer. So it's looking like the champs are on the ropes. They're going to be tied 1-1, have given up home court advantage. Then you start having to worrying about Steph Curry's timeline for return. It sounds like he's going to be ready either for Game 3 Saturday or Game 4 Monday. But you figure if you're 1-1, you're probably trying to rush him back a little bit. Up 2-0, you've got a little more breathing room. So it's looking like they're going to have to rush him back and then... The Warriors just went off in the fourth quarter. They finished the game on a 34 to 12 run. <laughs> uh, Festus Azili is really a huge difference maker. Had eight points, six rebounds, and a block. He was a plus 13 in 13 minutes after barely playing uh, throughout the whole postseason. So that was a big game changer for them. And then yeah, Clay, Clay did Clay things. Hit a couple threes in the fourth quarter. And the Trailblazers just looked, they looked totally overmatched. So I don't think after giving up that big of a lead, we have any hope of the Blazers pulling the upset. But at least we can hope for game six, maybe. Sarah, if if the Blazers can at least take game three, and Steph Curry says he is healthy, doctors clear him, do you bring him back for game four? That is such a tough question. It really, really depends on how he's feeling. And the thing is, like, I don't want to say that he would lie, but, you know, he's he was, he's going to fudge it a little bit. He's going to say he's ready even if he's not feeling great. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to know, you know, how good he's really feeling. I, I don't think you bring him back 
what's it, the worst that could happen is you go back home too, too. Mm-hmm. I doubt that's going to be the scenario anyway. Right. So no, I you just don't you don't risk it. That that team is playing so well. They have Portland on the ropes without him. So I don't see any reason that you need to to push that. Yeah, I'm right with you. I, Morton, even before the series started, said the Warriors should bench him through the semifinals, hold him out until the conference finals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this point, I I agree. Unless you're down three two, um, yeah. it just doesn't seem. You said it. I mean, they're really they're playing extremely well even without him, and their defense was lackluster at the beginning of game two, and it let. Portland get hot, hit a couple open threes, but they really honed in on Dame late. I yep. don't think he had a single point in the fourth quarter. Maybe he had one in garbage time. No, um, he did not score. <laughs> did not score at all. There you go. So after going off for 17 in the third, you know, they really focus up, hold him scoreless in the fourth. Draymond is just playing so freaking well. Like mm-hmm. It's unfair to have that type of an advantage when your point guard is out that you can you can give it to your four man or your five man and have him play the point but mm-hmm. that's where we are with the warriors um yeah i mean i just don't i don't see the point in bringing stuff back maybe the only scenario aside from being down 3-2 is if he's just saying like look i'm rusty you know the spurs thunder looks like it's going 7 so we're going to have a long layoff uh, between the series, so let me get a little game action. So I'm not totally cold. Haven't played in like almost a month by the time the conference finals start. But that, I mean, that injury. He's said it. He's not going to be a hundred percent healed once he comes back. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just so important to what they do. You want to give him as much time as possible. Avoid him putting any stress on that leg until absolutely needed. So. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's. I mean, seems like the Dubs are going to be in the conference finals. And I yeah. want to see a full strength Dubs. So let's hope hope the Warriors play it smart with him. Either way, Portland's that crowd is crazy. Maybe Lillard goes off again and can make it two one. But yeah, they they could get a game. They may yeah. very well get one out there. But I still don't think it's anything the Dubs need to worry about. You know, yeah, for for them or first. For his future, you know, it was not that long ago that he had all those ankle problems and, you know, there was concern about what kind of a career he would have because of that. And he's finally right. been able to get on the floor and play play through stuff. And, yeah, you don't want to set him back at all. That's very true. And let's – can we agree that Anderson Vergeau should never play ahead of Festus <laughs> Azili again? Yeah, we can probably agree on that. Okay, good. Festus, his eight points were their first eight points of the fourth quarter. Yeah, he was unreal. He was yeah. so good. He and Dre it. was just throwing him lobs left and right. He, yep. Uh, yep. I wrote a breakdown of that one also for B-Ball Breakdown. So. There we go. Check that out yeah. at bballbreakdown.com, everyone. <laughs> if you're interested in reading more about it, go ahead and yes. look that up. So let's switch over to our Where Amazing Happens segment. Uh, because we've had a couple of really amazing things happen the last couple of days. The first... We teased out it last time. Indiana was thinking about letting Frank Vogel, their head coach, go. And on Thursday, Larry Bird made it official. Uh, he didn't deem it a firing, 
kindly. He just said, Frank's contract is up and we've decided not to renew it. I mean, we Morton and I both railed against this last time. Sarah, what do you think of Indiana going in a different direction here? It's uh, it's an interesting choice by Larry Legend. Yeah. Um, I guess his reasoning is that it's his personal belief that coaches get stale after three years. The teams don't listen to them anymore. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Spurs are definitely done listening to Pop then. That's right. <laughs> for a yeah. long time now. I mean, Pop has actually said something like that before. Not three years, but I think a few years ago he thought about walking away because he thought do they really listen to me anymore interesting uh, but i think he's proven that they do right it's it's kind of like the debate about whether to blow up a team that is a playoff team a good team but maybe not quite top tier contending mm-hmm. that's kind of how i look at this it's frank vogel is obviously a good coach um and i i don't know the thing is if you feel like you want to make a change, you need to have some idea of where you want to go. Like, what are you going to do that's going to make you significantly better? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. We'll see what they come up with. I don't see who's out there that's really going to definitely be better than what they had in Vogel. Right. Yeah. It seemed like, so Kevin McHale withdrew his name from the Sacramento search earlier Thursday. Mm -hmm. So then there was some smoke about maybe McHale and Bird reunite, but Bird even addressed McHale in the press conference Thursday and said, that's not fair to him. I'm not going to hire him. So I don't know if that's a smoke screen and maybe he's actually interested or he's really not. But yeah, I agree. I don't know that there's a name that's out there that makes you a drastically better team next year. It seems like Bird's big gripe is that they didn't score enough. And someone tweeted, I forget who, that they spoke with him earlier in the year, and he said that he wanted them to score 105 points per game this season. (laughs) I think they scored about 102, which is still pretty good. Damn it, that's not 105. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess, I mean, it seems like that, you know, even in the press conference, Bird stressed, we need to score more. But look at that roster. Yeah. Like, who's, you got Paul George, and then you have an older Manta. But aside from that, like, it seems like it's a more of a failing on Bird's part to assemble a roster capable of playing that style more than it is Frank Vogel's fault that he couldn't milk more offense out of that team. Yeah, agreed. I I don't know what he was expected to do, really. I guess he just wanted him to play, what, ultra small all the time, regard, right. regardless of how it went. Yeah, and so they did that for a while, and it didn't really work all that well. And yeah. Miles Turner got hurt early in the year, which really took away from their ability to do that. Once he came back, they started switching more to a, a traditional... Turner at the four, Ian Mahinmi at the five. So I, I assume that Larry Bird wasn't a huge fan of that and wanted to stick with George at the four and either Turner or Mahinmi at the five. But they just didn't have that much success doing it. So maybe Vogel felt the pressure. It kind of had a sense that he was going to get canned either way. So at <laughs> least, like, let's put together a winning team and show, like, I can make the playoffs with mm-hmm. this roster. I do want to go back to the point you brought up about the three years thing. First, 
that's not a super smart thing to say when you have a head coaching vacancy. Like, here, we'll, we'll yeah. hire you, but we're going to fire you in three years. Yeah, that's like it. Like, if, if I'm a coach, I'm like, all right, give me a five-year fully guaranteed deal. <laughs> like, I need an extra two years and $10 million when you inevitably fire me. And second, I mean, there's just so much roster turnover in the NBA today. Like, look at the Pacers from three years ago. Yeah. You have Paul George and George Hill are still there. Lance Stevenson's gone. David West is gone. Roy Hibbert's gone. Vogel's coaching a pretty much an entirely different team. That's a good point. So yeah. you you can't really say like, oh yeah, these guys have tuned you out because it's not at all the same team aside from <laughs> Paul George. That and so Paul George is my big question here. Like if this was if he went to Bird behind the scenes and said, look, the guys aren't buying into Vogel, he's got to go, that makes more sense. If Paul George is blindsided by this or was a big fan of Vogel and urged Bird not to get rid of him, but Bird did anyway, now I'm wondering if Paul George is going to be in Atlanta, or Indiana for the next four or five years. Like, Is he one of those guys like a Jimmy Butler who just signed a new big deal but could be had for the right price? It's a good question, bud. Yeah, <laughs> and and if so, damn you, Sixers. Damn you <laughs> to hell. Because this is what Sam Hinkie spent three years building toward. This is the exact kind of scenario. He's where waiting for this moment, yeah. <laughs> he really was. And Larry Legend, you could have Jaleel Okafor. He could score 20 a game in his sleep. Just... I mean, I, if so, that like Paul George, that really, you know, again, this is total hypothetical. There's been nothing suggesting Paul George is on the move, just floating this for fun, but could make an already really interesting offseason even more fascinating, both for Indiana and the league as a whole, because once that free agent market dries up, I really do think we're going to see at least one major superstar trade. I want to give credit to Chris Towers of CBS. He actually proposed a possible Paul George for Blake Griffin swap. <laughs> I thought that was actually pretty interesting for both sides. At least it's better than the proposed Blake Griffin for Carmelo trade that we've heard <laughs> so much about. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. I mean, if that was on the table, Sarah, would you do Paul George for Blake Griffin? Let me think about this for a second. Sure, why not? I just want to shake up the NBA a little bit. <laughs> You're like Martin. He's taught you so well. <laughs> you know what I love, too? That you try to give away Jalil Okafor literally every podcast. <laughs> every single... I, I trade him for a washing machine. we got to hit our quota. It's got to yeah. happen once, a podcast yeah. at least. Absolutely. Yeah, I just want someone to take him. Please. <laughs> Please. Um, yeah, you know, I think... I, again, super hypothetical. Cannot stress this enough. But that's an awesome trade for both sides, I think. Because Paul George wouldn't have to... He's a really great scorer, but I don't know that you also want him to be your primary offensive creator. So mm -hmm. having CP3 there would take that responsibility off of his hands. And then he could just be like this slashing, spot-up monster. You can put him at the four at times, but you can also play the three with him. And then Blake and Miles Turner would be fascinating together because Blake can really shoulder that scoring load and Miles Turner is kind of that 
rebounding, shot blocking presence, but he's also got a nice little mid range stroke. So he's like a skinnier version of DeAndre Jordan that could actually shoot. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if I'm Larry Bird, and I'm really, you know, I'm really looking to shake things up because clearly. I already got rid of my coach. You know, yeah. PG3 starts getting a little frustrated behind the scenes. Doc Rivers is the first guy I'm calling and saying, let's do this straight up right now. Blake for Paul. So we'll see what happens there. But I just, I really hope Indiana finds uh, uh, someone who's not Mark Jackson. <laughs> you can see, like, the writing on the wall, okay? Like, I don't think Larry will do it. Yeah. But the fact that, yeah, he's a former Pacer, and that seems to be, like, all the rage right now. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it would make me so sad. Oh, but what, I, where do you think Vogel ends up? Do you think he's in the league next year, or is he taking a break? If I were him, <laughs> I probably would take a break. Yeah. Because I don't want Houston, I don't want Sacramento, and I don't want New York. But I, I could see him going to New York. That might not be terrible. I would be so sad. It, like, if the Knicks, I mean, they just have screwed this coaching search up from the beginning <laughs> and have been like, oh, yeah, we love Kurt Rambis. Oh, we'll interview David Blatt, I guess. We'll... And now, did you see Phil Jackson's, like, on vacation right now? No, I didn't. Yeah, so apparently, like, the people in his coaching search are being notified, oh, by the way, Phil's on vacation. He'll get back to you eventually. Wow. So... If he's on vacation, he's not even, like, doing stuff right now the day Vogel gets released, and then they still end up with him. That's just, like, Adam Silver is actually rigging the NBA, just like David Stern did. <laughs> just kidding, everyone. Just It's not a conspiracy. It's only with the Sixers. We should just have a, a tinfoil hat segment. <laughs> <laughs> we do a conspiracy theory, like, every day for at least five minutes. Oh, we totally should. Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't think you want to get me down that road with the Colangelos. <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so so we agree that there are no good fits for Vogel. I actually think if I if he's going to go anywhere, I want him to go to Houston just because I want to see if he can get James Harden to play defense. I don't think he could, but maybe. Or at least maybe he can design a scheme that hides James Harden better than... <laughs> that's Yeah, that's the more likely scenario. Yeah. Uh, yeah, getting him to care is like, I think that's beyond the power of magic. So. <laughs> right. We'll see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think we can at least agree that he, he won't be going to Sacramento, right? He's not oh, crazy. Oh, my God. Let's hope not. How many people have they interviewed? Uh, I think we're next on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm going to go. I'm going to talk about how much I want to play four on five all the time. <laughs> You'll probably get me. hired if you lead with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Just yeah. depends how how bad do you want the job, Ryan? Uh, not at all. <laughs> I, just, I just want their lottery picks. That's all. <laughs> well, you can then give them to the Sixers. Well, that we're yeah we we already have their next three possibly. So yeah, we, we I just want more. I want like their twenty twenty two pick. <laughs> Speaking of embarrassing Western Conference franchises, the Lakers are back in the news. Byron Scott was on ESPN yesterday on Rachel Nichols' show, The Jump, where he talked about being surprised that the Lakers let him go. He said that when he signed on, they told him, 
hey, this is a rebuilding period. Are you okay with that? He said, yeah, I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? <laughs> so it seemed like he thought he was getting at least three years. Like they hired him in 2014. They said, it's a transition period. We're going to get some young players. It's going to be Kobe's final season or two. So there's going to be this like weird conflict. So he was surprised by them letting him go. I will say, I've been really harsh on Byron Scott on this podcast, but he actually gave a semi-reasonable explanation for his handling of D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle. He said basically that those guys were entitled a-holes and that they came into the season like thinking they were going to start because that's what their draft status, mm-hmm. you know, they were picked two and seven. So that's, they deserve that role. And he tried to humble them. And he was sitting next to Tracy McGrady in this interview. And he's like, hey, like, you know, T-Mac had to earn his spot. I had to earn my spot. Like, nothing is given to you when you're in the NBA. So he benched them. And then, he's, you know, they came back into the starting lineup a couple months later. And he said they were actually a lot hungrier. So <laughs> I thought it was interesting only in that it's easy to make fun of these guys and, like, I did it plenty throughout the season. I think half of my Twitter feed was just Byron Scott jokes, and I wrote a couple things for B-Ball Breakdown about what he was doing and why he was a tire fire. It's easy to mock that, but we have to remember there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that not even that we don't know about, just as people like looking from the outside in, but that reporters covering the team either don't know about or aren't reporting. Right. You know, I think read between the lines and you got a sense that D'Angelo was kind of that way. But no one like came out and said, look, this guy is acting like a jackass. He (laughs) he needs to be humbled a little bit. That's what Byron is doing. And he's like laying down his coaching career for it because he's, you know, based on the way he handled this last season, I would be mortified if he ever got a coaching job again. But I'm impressed at least a little bit with his explanation of what happened there. Yeah. I mean, how many guys are afraid to do that with a high draft right. pick, you know? Yeah. And so if that's really what happened and he was trying to humble them and get them to buy in a little bit more, then yeah, you actually have to respect that a little bit. Uh, and it looks like he is paying for it, but that's, I mean, we'll be honest, that's not the only reason I wouldn't think. Right. Uh, he has a real antiquated way of looking at the game that yes. doesn't match with what's happening today. But, yeah, I, I would definitely give him credit for that. Yeah, I actually, I feel bad because for a hardwood paroxysm, we had a Star Wars roundtable yesterday for <laughs> May the 4th Be With You Day. Yep. And one of the questions was, who is the NBA's Jar Jar Binks? And I said <laughs> it was Byron Scott. Because, oh no! <laughs> well, because Jar Jar says like he's really annoying, and he says stupid, nonsensical things all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Byron was really annoying and said stupid, nonsensical things a lot this year. And his explanations for why he was benching D'Angelo switched from a game to game basis. So yeah. I, so I said that he was Jar Jar, but now I kind of feel bad about that. <laughs> I also said Jerry Colangelo was Emperor Palpatine. I do not feel- <laughs> Let's be real, though. That is 100% accurate. Yeah, like, I don't feel bad about that one at all. That That <laughs> is just, that is true. He would look like, if you put him in a hood, 
Right? You wouldn't be able to tell them apart. Right? That's what I was oh thinking. Yeah, someone needs... I'm terrible with Photoshop. Someone with Photoshop, <laughs> please do that. Send it to me. That's going to be my Twitter avatar forever. Darth oh Jerry. Oh my god. Yeah. That's absolutely him. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's always like pulling strings behind the scenes. Right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I said uh, the Sixers ownership were his Padawan and they had, <laughs> they had such a good idea. Like they could have been, they could have brought balance to the force, but instead they fired Sam Hankey and it might not be killing younglings, but they, they didn't fire <laughs> Sam Hankey, I should say. He coerced him into resigning. So <laughs> he saw it coming and he just jumped. Yeah, right. Jumped out exactly. Ahead of it. Exactly. They gave him an order sixty six and he, he got the hell out. Uh let's touch on one more thing here. So the Chris Bosch saga has finally come to an end. Miami has ruled him out for the rest of the postseason. He was in a joint statement with them and they said after conferring with the medical staff, the players association got involved this week. They've all decided that he's done for the year. It's still unclear whether he was on blood thinners. If he was, he was just not going to get cleared. That shouldn't have been a question. I think the question was whether it was safe for him to go off. I mean, it's a game, right? Like basketball, it's just a game. It's not worth putting your life in danger for. He's already sacrificed a lot by coming to Miami, like... You know, how how many jokes was he the butt of for those mm. first couple of years when he was, you know, the like a Bosch video, that kind of stuff. So he's already put a lot on the line. I think it's smart of the Heat to have played it really, really cautiously here. And even though, you know, a, a Heat team with Bosch, like, if I'm Cleveland. That that's a big red flag. Like that, you know. I I think the Heat are already the one team that could give Cleveland a little bit of a scare. But if Bosch was on that team, like that would be an excellent Eastern Conference Finals. So, I mean, it's safe to say that the Heat are not necessarily foregoing their shot at the championship, but definitely lessening their shot mm-hmm. uh, in the interest of their player. But bravo, Heat! Like good for you for <laughs> keeping uh keeping what's what's important in perspective what do you think sarah were you a fan of this move yeah i obviously we don't know all of the details but yeah i just never want to see a guy risk his own health i mean obviously people play banged up and and stuff but this is completely different from that and yeah i i never want to see that that it grosses me out it's like creepy a little icky i he he needs to just sit it out i know he wants to be out there I mean, I'm sorry for him that he can't be out there, but there are much more important things, obviously. For sure. And if they, hey, who knows, maybe they retain Whiteside next year and they're right back in this position. Let's just hope. Yeah. I mean, this is the second straight year where he's had this kind of an issue right around the All-Star break and it knocked him out for the season. So let's hope that um, doctors and the medical professionals that he's consulting with can get to the bottom of this and prevent any further reoccurrences because we want... We want you back in the NBA, CB4. Just get healthy first. So let's switch to our weekly crush segment, since we haven't done this in a little while. Sarah, let's start with you. Who are you crushing on this week? It's safe to assume that I'm always crushing on this person. (laughs) I just miss him. Okay. (laughs) He's he's the one who got away. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Corey Joseph. 
Uh, he Over the last four games, he's averaged like 10 points per game, shooting 55%. The numbers with him are never going to like blow anybody away, especially playing the minutes that he plays. He only plays like a little over 20 minutes a game. But And that's, that's what he was when he was with the Spurs, too. I mean, you knew he's not going to have huge numbers, but he's not going to turn the ball over very much. He's going to get a few rebounds. He's going to get maybe a couple assists. He's going to shoot the ball well. And he's just going to be steady, you know? That was, like, his greatest selling point. He didn't do anything spectacularly, but he was just all around good. And you could trust him. I mean, can we make the argument, possibly, that he's been the best guard for the Raptors? Yeah, I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. And I I named him as my X-Factor for the Raptors in this series in uh, my preview at bballbreakdown.com. I think it's... Go. Plug it's, it, plug yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep reading it. It's still relevant. Uh, no, I think you're totally spot on. I think he's absolutely, at least, especially, I mean, if Lowry gets it going again, you know, maybe he takes a lesser role. But mm-hmm. if Lowry keeps struggling, you got to start giving him more minutes, right? Yeah, I would think so. I miss you, Corey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I miss everybody, though. I miss Nando. I think, <laughs> I think I read today that that he was voted, or he's going to be voted first team EuroLeague. Oh, okay. So congratulations, Nando. Well done. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Corey Joseph is also the one that got away from me because I wanted him on the Sixers <laughs> last year, and we we refused to overpay him. Ah, <sighs> Sixers. Yeah. One day, we'll maybe sign a point. Not even a point guard, just any free agent. We might dip our toes into free agency, maybe. Anybody. Yeah. Except for Rajon Rondo. Do not sign Rajon Rondo <laughs> under any circumstances. Yeah, we've uh, we've been going. Sixers Twitter has just been throughout this whole series. Like, oh my god, we're going to max out DeMar-, DeMar DeRozan, aren't we? We're going to do it. I don't, oh, want, no. I don't want that. I like him as a player, but... Brian Colangelo's relationship with him from his Toronto days, it seems all too likely, and it makes me want to vomit everywhere. So mm-hmm. that's that's my take. It's my hot sister's take this week. Thank you. <laughs> Much like you picked a former Spur, I am picking a former Sixer for my crush this hey. week. Mo Harkless, who uh, actually never played a game as a Sixer because he immediately <laughs> got traded in the Andrew Bynum deal. You know, he was never... He had some flashes in Orlando, but was never all that consistent. Got traded for basically nothing. I think a top 55 protected second round pick this year. So good job as always, Orlando, in your management of assets. Really impressed. Toward the end of the season, Terry Stotts moved him into the starting lineup. He averaged 12 points and 6.5 rebounds per game. I think it was like 11 or 12 games at the end of the year. And then in the first round series against the Clippers, he averaged 12.7 points and 6.2 rebounds while starting all six games. Uh, Stotts moved him on to CP3 before CP3 broke his hand. And he actually did, you know, he didn't like completely shut down CP3, but he made him work. I just love this kid. I, I know he's he's got some flaws. He's not a great shooter. He's not super consistent. But... His ability to switch onto, especially on the point guards, I mean, he can really guard one through four. So if he develops that three-point shot, he's going to be like that next wave of 3 and D guy. Uh, he is a free agent this summer, so I think, you know, I'm already clamoring for the Sixers to bring him <laughs> back. 
overpay him a little bit and see if he can develop that shot. You know, maybe he's like the next type of Jay Crowder. You know, I don't know if it happens, but I'm just really impressed. He, again, even against Clay Thompson, he switched on to him for a little bit in game two and actually held him in check for at least the first half. Um, Got into a little bit of foul trouble, which is when when the Warriors started making their move. So let's hope he can stay out of foul trouble uh, and at least... Actually, I want him to get into foul trouble. I want him to get into a lot of foul trouble, (laughs) decrease his market value, let the Sixers steal him. But I'm really impressed with Harkless. I'm just happy for the guy because it seemed like he was on on the precipice of kind of turning into a guy who's just going to float around the league and not really find a good fit. So I'm glad that in Portland... Terry Stotts, my pick for coach of the year, really tapped into what makes him so such a great fit for the way the NBA is played today. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right, so that's going to do it for us. We will be back soon to talk more playoff action. As always, be sure to check out bballbreakdown.com for all of your playoff coverage. We've got recaps of every game. Sarah's been writing a couple, as we've mentioned throughout. And we will be back soon. So, Sarah, as always, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. All right, you too. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And, of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & more. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send him my condolences. Hi-o! This next one's for you, too. There's... A burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.